You're listening to Messy Jesus Business, a podcast about radical gospel living. Hi, everyone. I'm Sister Julia Walsh, a writer, spiritual director, and jail minister living in Chicago. Welcome to The Mess. At Messy Jesus Business, we explore how the mess of radical gospel living brings disciples into a life of struggle as we advocate for social justice, live simply, serve others, practice contemplation, and live in community. Hey everyone, I'm Cherish Badzinski. I work behind the scenes for Messy Jesus Business Podcast, primarily as a writer and sound editor. And I would like to invite you to help us celebrate an upcoming milestone, our 50th episode. I know Messy Jesus Business Podcast means a lot to many of you. Now here's your chance to let us know what you love most, to share how Messy Jesus Business has inspired and influenced you. Here's how. Simply record yourself telling us about your favorite episode, something you've learned that changed your perspective, or what the program means to you. Really, anything about Messy Jesus Business Podcast that matters to you is just fine. Then email your voice audio recording to us at MessyJesusBusiness at gmail.com. You just might hear yourself on an upcoming episode. That's MessyJesusBusiness at gmail.com. We can't wait to hear from you. And now on to our guest. Beverly Lenzetta is the theologian, contemplative scholar and teacher, and the author of many groundbreaking books on emerging universal spirituality and monasticism. She is dedicated to a vision of theological openness and spiritual nonviolence. Beverly is also a vowed monk of peace living in the world and an interfaith chaplain. She has formed a community of new monks dedicated to the universal mystical heart and to the spirituality of nonviolence. She has devoted much of her life to mentoring people who seek a deeper contemplative commitment and who wish to take personal monastic vows. She has taught theology at Villanova University, Prescott College, and Grinnell College. In this episode of Messy Jesus Business, Beverly and I discuss how she lives out her call to be in union with God and be a contemplative guide, and how loving and surrendering to God can be an innate experience. We talk about how the spiritual path of pilgrimage can bring us to greater freedom, and what it takes to be free when we're living a spiritual life. We both reflect on what discipleship means to us. And lastly, we consider the complexity and mess of living a spiritual life and how God provides groundedness. Enjoy. Hello, Beverly. Beverly Lanzetta. Welcome to Messy Jesus Business. Hello, Sister Julia. It's great to be here. You are a theologian, you're a contemplative scholar, you're a teacher, you're an author, a retreat leader. 
How did you come to know you were called to mentor people who seek a deeper contemplative commitment? I would say that it was much more spontaneous than knowing. Hmm. My life changed, and I've written about this in many instances, in when I was like 29, when I had a life-changing religious mystical event. It was, you know, lasted over a day. And after that sort of, I wouldn't even say culminated, but after that process of experiencing the divine, it just seemed like things began to, it was as if I was being guided or pushed in a certain direction. From that, I mean, really quite spontaneously, I just, you know, started offering a class here and there, or people would come to me to talk to me about their spiritual lives. And, and in those days, I didn't have the term spiritual direction or spiritual guidance. I, I just people would come and talk to me. And, and so from there, a kind of a practice developed of guidance and mentoring, and then also teaching. I, I guess I would say that it was, it felt spiritually inspired. It didn't feel like I chose to do it. It felt like God was saying, this is where I'm calling you mm. and, and go this way. Because whenever I tried to do something else, it didn't work. It wasn't going to happen. So <laughs> the only thing that happened was going in that direction. I always think people have always said to me over the years, you know, oh my gosh, you're so brave. You've followed this path your whole life. It's been now over 45 years. And I would say, no, it's not bravery. When God calls us, it's like, there is no real choice. <laughs> I mean, really, <laughs> at least that's how it felt, feels to me. There's just a, an affirmation of gratitude, I guess. Mm, of being mm. called in a direction of having your life kind of focused on something that you didn't even know was possible. Prior to that experience, I had certainly been searching. From the time I was a young child, I was a searcher. You know, I wanted to know. I always wanted to know, you know, what's this? What's truth? What's love? You know, what do the saints tell us? And so I'd been definitely searching. But until I had that experience, I didn't know, it wasn't a belief, it was an actual encounter with what it was I was searching for, you know, that changed the whole orientation of my life, set me on the path. Yeah, yeah. And, and what is your life like now? I think I was called, I wouldn't even, I wouldn't even put contemplative guide as the first call. It felt like the call was, was initially to be in, into, in union with God, like to be receptive to that communion that that's sort of primary that's the center that's that's the contemplative core to to live in silence with the divine like i said to be grateful for the the gift of solitude with god so i would say the center of my life is still that it is still giving myself each day to being with god in the center whether it's through prayer or writing, or meditation, or, or helping someone, or whatever I'm being asked to do, you know, going to the grocery store, right? It's washing dishes. And so my life is, I, I try to pray about, well, you know, how can I be of service today? Hmm. And some of my, you know, what, we all work with the with our abilities or the gifts we have. And I've always been a writer. I've always loved to write from the time I was a child. So writing is one of the ways that I share teaching. I've always been teaching. But I think that the, the core of it is the incredible gift of being able to live a life in communion with God. 
and to and to you know to encourage other people to seek that you know to fulfill that longing we have to to know what truth is or know you know what really is reality about are we really here in a veil inside a veil or or is there really a doorway an opening to the transcendent and of course i i feel there is i know there is but to kind of help each other find a home in in the spirit you know and to do that in in the in a simple humble way the best of our ability the best of my ability so that's kind of how i live it out as as best i can i mean like i said i try to oh and i also paint i paint icons so that's another way of like sharing with others and and more and more as i've gotten older it's very interesting i'm sure you will understand this it's more not so much and i don't mean this in the old platitude of doing versus being you know like oh we don't want to be we don't want to do right <laughs> because we always are doing i mean we're doing now right even as we're being together right mm-hmm. but i've noticed as i've gotten older that the spont- the freedom to really express the devotion i have right without the filters without saying well it it has to be this way or it has to come through that format or it has to be to to really be free to express the passion of love of god it feels like it's going deeper into that interiority into the contemplative solitude um in which we all know something of we all have within us right mm-hmm. it almost reminds me i mean it's it, not at all to compare myself with this but it reminds me of there was years ago i saw this film on Michelangelo and it was a it was a, a documentary about his first carving so the pieta you know the david very very honed and beautiful and then towards the end of his life his carvings became more and more like obscure and kind of like misty or you know like not distinct right <laughs> and it almost feels like that like we move from or i'm moving from a certain kind of cultural clarification a bridge that i built in in getting becoming you know getting my doctorate in theology finding mm. the language of christian mysticism building that bridge between the experience i had and the language of history right the theological language it is so i i i just love so much but now kind of also moving into that more amorphous what is coming out of that deep well that's not as defined but mm-hmm. that is very passionate and very devoted i think what i'm hearing is that for you is the love of god and living living that great commandment of love the lord your god with all your heart and soul and mind and love your neighbor as you love yourself is an innate experience right and it's sort of this thing that is emerging and it it evolves and it's deep and it's mysterious and it's like a a bit of a surrender to what is just naturally there and the academia maybe taught you to conform to to the ways of the world now you're in this space of like yeah I surrender to the mystery and the beauty of it all, huh? Yes, absolutely. And I would also say that one of the things that the academic study of theology gave me was a great respect for surrendering to knowledge and the mystical knowledge that's in our traditions. Mm. So 
So I don't see them as mutually exclusive. I think they're profoundly helpful and how deep study is very contemplative. But what I think in, in part what I'm saying is that there's a freedom that grows from within that actually reconceptualizes theology or reconceptualizes, you know, our path to God as we surrender more and more. So it's almost like we can break open religious language in a new way. And we can travel with the pilgrims on the road to an unknown future. And it's, it's not so much carrying, it's not like we don't honor the, the tradition behind us, but we're not carrying it as baggage. Mm. Mm. Yeah. So is it, is it more about response and less about conformity? for you, the spiritual life? I, yes, it's definitely more about response. I wouldn't say that it's that it was conforming. It, it was ever very conforming because, <laughs> <laughs> you know, having you know, been kicked out of Sunday school and having <laughs> various other iconoclastic experiences. Um, but yes, I think it's, it's just about this freedom that we're given and this is why so much of my life has been about the interspiritual, the, the, you know, new traditions of contemplative wisdom, not as a rejection of the wisdom that we've been given and the beauty of what we've been given, but the freedom of, of kind of co-creating with that, that well of, of truth inside us, you know, opening new doors you know, opening new pathways. That really is a practice of freedom. There is something very deep in solitude in the contemplative life that we are granted such incredible freedom, this amazing, profound level of creativity that we're granted by that surrender. Yeah. Because yeah. Once, once we surrender into that place of the divine, we're not going against anything. We are moving in the stream, we're moving in the waters of the holy. And so, you know, the more humble we are, the more we, we get a glimpse of what's possible. And so that gives us a freedom to, to try to paint pictures of the sacred in the world and to plant seeds, you know, and, and it's sort of like liberating us from what I consider to be the, a lot of the injustices that have come down, not only in secular society and regular society, but also the injustices within religions and even within the spiritual life, you know, places where people are bogged down and carry such sense of guilt or sin or whatever it is that um, prevents them from understanding the, the great gift we have of, of being you know, being joined in love. What characteristics could one work to develop in themselves so that they're leaning more into the reverence and the surrender instead of the shame and the shoulds? Well, what, you know, I've always had a prayer and I, I don't, you know, I don't know how effective it is for other people, but it has been, I always have prayed from the time I was very young, make, please make me empty. Mm. And, um, <laughs> and it sounds so very simple, but it really is about part of this sense of freedom is like you said, let, being willing to let go of the impositions 
So this willingness to let go of impositions, to be empty, let's say, to be free to be empty, in part requires a great awareness of what is unjust. And, and that's where the, you know, it's kind of like a two-sided thing. Like one has to become aware of, well, what does, let's say, a religious notion of excessive sin, what is that doing to us? How is that affecting us? What does a religion that has negative texts about women or denigrates a race or how is that affecting our souls? How is that affecting our, our sense of justice? And how have our souls been burdened by these levels of injustice? So to me, those two things go together, that it's not just simply, well, you know, we meditate and we ask, and that can be very helpful. And sometimes that is a breakthrough. Mm. Oftentimes that praying and meditating reveals the things that we're kind of afraid to look at. Like, what would happen if I really said that what my religion or my family or my faith tradition is saying about X person or X situation? How is that harming others and harming my own being? And one of the things about that is that when I had that experience in 1976, there was, an, there was literally an injunction in the middle of the experience which was, you know, and I'll just say as if, I'll just say as if, although for me it was real, a divine voice. Do not privilege one religion over another. Do not privilege one being over another because it wounds my heart. To me, that is like a law, all right, for my being. So, so in other words, how do we, how do we put that fact up against the way the world operates? And in what ways are we caught in those feelings of diminishment or rejection or segregation or superiority mm. that we harbor, you know, oftentimes unconsciously. And I've, I've learned this a lot from, you know, working with so many people over these years, you know, a person will have in, in their own being a sense of, well, my religion is superior to yours or people who are gay or transsexual or whatever are not worthy of whatever those are not just intellectual ideas they're in our beings they're deep spiritual issues that don't lead to freedom and of course everyone has their own their own sense of where god's calling them maybe for some people they're not the same as mine their injustice their sense of injustice right freedom requires honesty and it requires a willingness to find what is keeping us held trapped or held in place, right? And it and it isn't it isn't so simple as well. I'm going to do this exercise and that exercise because if we study the mystical traditions or the great monks and you know desert fathers and mothers or whatever, we see that their freedom came from a radical honesty of looking at, you know, whether we want to call it the demons in the desert, you know, or we want to call it their sins or whatever we want to call it, they had to come to a place of radical honesty with their own interiority. And it's that constant radical honesty that sort of strips away all the impositions, not only our own, but of society and religion, and then sort of releases us into 
a deeper place. It's beautiful. And I just want to comment and say how the, your prayer about emptiness, I really resonates for me because, well, it actually connects to sort of my Christian, you know, background and, and the prayer for purity and all the Psalms that are about um, growing in purity. And I think of emptiness and purity as very similar. And that's a spirit that I try to take into my work of creativity, especially my writing here. We, we both have writing in common. So, and I think about, okay, I, I come to the page, the page is empty. And I, how do I just open myself up to whatever the spirit wants to say through me? Right. And, and there's sort of this co-creation and this communion with God in the, in the creative energy that, that spills forth. That's beautiful. And it makes a lot of sense. Now I want to ask a question kind of rooted in my identity. Here I am a Franciscan sister, a Catholic. This podcast is called Messy Jesus Business. And for me, I very much am at home in Christianity and Catholicism. And Jesus is, is definitely my center. And we're in, and gazing upon Jesus upon the cross is essential to me and my, in my spirituality, my spiritual path. And you know, all the catechesis and the faith formation I've received over the years has helped me to think about Jesus as the truth with the capital T. So I always find myself feeling a little bit insecure in, in interspiritual and interfaith spaces and ecumenical spaces, because I feel so rooted in, in who I am and, and, yeah, and convinced this, this is right. This is true. This, and this, and this is, the good news that I want to proclaim as a Franciscan. I'm very committed to that. So I appreciate your perspective of like not wanting to make any spiritual being greater than any other or something. Yet for me, Jesus is the truth. So how do you grapple with the existence of people like me, <laughs> you know, who are like, no, it's all about Jesus. And Jesus is, is my, the love of my life. And I can't imagine anything else, but I really appreciate other traditions. I'm enriched by being in relationship with them. So, so I kind of have this, this little dance that I'm doing here. And, and I'm very curious what you have to say to someone like me. Yeah, no, that's great. I love that. Well, first of all, I, when I said in my, in my experience of not privileging, it doesn't mean that there, we don't each have our own beloved. Mm. So that is an important thing that we each have our own beloved. And that is an absolute, I mean, like if someone were to tell me that I couldn't have the faith experience that I have, right. that would be such a violation of who I am. Yeah. So the same in your case, right? That you, you you love Jesus and that Jesus is your beloved and the center of your life. And that's that's as it should be. And that's wonderful, right? right. <laughs> I want to be a good uh, Franciscan sister if that weren't the case, right? <laughs> and of course, and you should be. And, and so, you know, if I had had an experience that was as you're describing, then that would have been true for me too. Mine was different and mine was... As the years have gone on, I've realized it is, I describe it as via feminina, as a divine feminine mother figure, right? But that's not the totality of it either. And even when I say that, that's not the totality, right? It's only a fragment of what I experienced. I think it's absolutely, yeah, it, you should be what you are. And that's, the, that's what makes it beautiful that God has given us many paths, you know, and even though when you're saying, well, there, maybe there shouldn't be many paths. I don't know if you're saying that. No, I'm not. I'm just, I, I will admit I get confused. <laughs> yeah. 
Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, for example, if I say to you, and I have four children, that my children are the center of my life, I adore my children, does that mean that other children are not also adored by their parents? It doesn't mm -hmm. that. And it doesn't diminish other people's children for me to adore my children. Right. Have them as the center of my family. And that's what I'm saying, that I think God is big enough to hold our various expressions, the ways in which God has come to us, and to not, to not diminish someone else because they're not in the same place. Yeah. And that's what privileging to me means. Not like you can't say this is my beloved and this is my truth. Ah. Right? But that you're not diminishing someone else that doesn't share your truth. Yeah, I hope not. <laughs> well, I'm just saying that's how I'm, that was my injunction, right? Mm -hmm. That was my mm -hmm. injunction. So, so to me, you know, God has given us this world with so many different religious expressions and how many people adore their, their divine one, mm -hmm. you know, Buddha, Jesus, whomever. And so it is confusing to say, well, if you are the, the, the truth, the total truth, why are there other total truths, right? <laughs> and a lot of my work, I mean, my doctoral work was on Meister Eckhart and interreligious dialogue. So the question that is a very big question, you know, that comes up in spiritual conversations, like how can there be more than one ultimate truth? But apparently it seems, it seems to be that way. I mean, at least in our world, there seems to be, you know, that, that God has given us this diversity, let's say. But, you know, at the same time, I was raised Catholic and I have a, a, a deep, I don't know, identification or understanding of the cross and the whole issue of suffering. And part of my experience that I had many years ago was about suffering. And so I think that there's different angles on which we come to tradition. You know what I mean? Like I very much identify with that tr tradition in Christianity. It feels very real and close to me. Yeah. You know, the suffering God and how the divine, how God, Jesus, whatever, what, you know, Jesus is comfortable, your word, you know, for me, it's more God, but how God comes to us in suffering and how we, we harm the divine in each other every day. I mean, you know, what, you know, look at the crucifixion, just as one example of all the crucifixions going on in the world, you know? So, so this is, this is sort of like the riches of wisdom that exist in our traditions and in which, for an example, for me in Christianity and my background, I identify with very much. So, you know, I want to celebrate that you're a Franciscan sister and, <laughs> and you love Jesus and that's great. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> and I celebrate whatever, you know, I have always been more nameless. Mm. So I think of my path more apophatically, it's more nameless, mm. um, but it isn't any less real to me. And the uh, the angle that I'm looking at on my path is less involved with, with a divine figure per se, and more with those dimensions of deep truth that have come out, you know, of tradition. Yeah, yeah. Now you mentioned the Via Feminina. I know it's a topic you write about, and I'm wondering if you could define it and speak about it a little bit, but, but before you do, 
I want to share that just recently I was in a conversation with, with someone, she was another woman who's very involved in the Catholic church. And she was telling me that a bishop made a comment to her that, <laughs> this was kind of funny, that I am, I'm struggling so much with the apostolates here in this diocese to get anything done, but the Catholic sisters are getting a lot of things done. <laughs> and, and then, you know, she and I were kind of laughing about what is it about feminine energy that's so powerful? And like, what is it about women where we get the stuff done? <laughs> and, and I don't know if that connects at all to, to what the mystery of via feminina, but if you could kind of just unpack that a bit, I'd love it. In this quest that I was talking about earlier of the freedom to co-create and new, new understandings, new doors into the sacred, new ways of expressing, that maybe there's so much work in the last 50 years about reconceptualizing tradition, rethinking tradition, unpacking tradition, right? And part of me feels that sometimes we can't completely do that. Like tradition is rooted in thousands of years of saying right of sayings and sometimes we have to unsay we just can't like repair not that repair is bad right but sometimes the things the roots are so deep that we have to just say okay you just be there little root but i'm going over here and planting a new seed mm. right? <laughs> okay mm -hmm. so so uh, the term via feminina happened when I was giving a talk on Christian mysticism and talking about the via positiva, the via negativa, you know, the positive path, positive way, and the negative way, which is described, I'm sure you know, as the positive is all the names we ascribe to God. God is good. God is beautiful. God is love. The negative way is God is emptiness. God is the super essential ray of divine darkness, you know, something like that, right? Um, and so I was giving this talk and I said, oh, but there's a third way called the Via Feminina. And I was like, where did that come from in the middle of the talk? Wow. <laughs> like, Wait a minute. And then I realized, yes, there is a third way. There has always been a third way or a fifth way or who knows, right? Mm. But there is a path, a, a different type of path that begins from a different premise into the divine nature. And to me, that path begins in intimacy. Okay, it begins in the communion of opposites or the communion of saints, even if you want to call it that, but it begins in intimacy. It, it moves from intimacy through the world into a transcendent vision of, of mercy and compassion. And that pathway leads us into the spiritual life differently, not against or contrary to or whatever, but just differently. And so what I was trying to uh, articulate and what I try to affirm in a lot of my writing and in my own life is what does it look like if we live out of that path? Mm -hmm. Okay, what does it look like when we seek to become a compassionate one that we move, we seek to embrace God, the divine nature in its most merciful, right? In its most compassionate. What does it feel like in our souls to, to acknowledge how intimate we are with the world, how much we suffer over 
the desecration of the earth or the harming of children or war or whatever it is we're going through because our, our almost like the history of our traditions deprivileges the mystical, the most sensitive that in, in, in general discourse, even in churches and synagogues and mosques and so forth, we're not all, we're very seldom talking about that kernel of deep mercy. And so the question to myself was, how can I, like you talked about earlier, purity of heart, how do we live out of that pure heart? You know, moving from intimacy to intimacy, moving from mercy to mercy. And maybe that is why, I mean, I can't speak for all women, but as, as myself, I think I have a, maybe more of a connection to that place as a woman than maybe men do. I don't know. Um, I think women embody it differently than men, you know, even though we all have that feminine in us, you know, maybe women embody it differently and maybe because of the sensitivity to, to suffering and sensitivity to the violation, we're propelled to do more. We feel like we must give more. I don't know. Mm. You know what I mean? But I just know that you know, I think that so much of social justice and activism, and I call this place I'm talking about inside like a mystical activism, right? That so much of that in my life, and I think other people's lives comes from, we have to do something about the ways in which we're harming each other, right? We can't just let it be. So to me, the Via Feminina is kind of a, a heightened sensitivity to the place in which we as humans violate the great call to mercy. Mm. And that's why we show up with so much passion and determination right. to, to get things done. And then we do. <laughs> exactly. And I think that is, you know, and maybe that is more of a innate thing in women than in men. Mm. You know, I don't, I can't say that for sure because I'm not a male person. So mm -hmm. I can never know. Yeah. But, but I see it a lot in spiritual direction with women, you know, that there's, mm -hmm. there is this heightened sensitivity to that. Yeah. Well, and I think if you, you could ask any like parish minister that they have, they have more trouble getting men engaged in the parish life than they do women, right? Women will volunteer to lead the Bible studies and be the teachers of religious education and volunteer in the kitchen. And men's groups sometimes are just not existent, <laughs> right? Or, or they're just, there's not like sort of this, this powerhouse behind, behind the men's community. So yeah, anyway, it's an interesting dynamic and, and I appreciate your comments on it. And thank yeah. you. Thank you so much for unpacking that. There's, I feel like we could talk all day and there's a zillion things that we could explore, but I just have a couple more questions to kind of wrap this up. Well, let's really talk about Jesus if we could. Okay. So, so this is messy Jesus business and here at messy Jesus business, we're interested in radical discipleship. So I'm wondering for you, what does radical gospel living mean? Or what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus? Okay, well, I'll ask you that as well. People don't normally turn the question around and ask me, but that's fair. <laughs> I am asking you, but I'll just say first, because you asked me, is to me, the first word that comes is humility. Mm, yeah. A radical discipleship comes out of humility which comes out of awe. And there are different levels of radical discipleship. I guess I would say in the way I think you're describing it, maybe my life has been an attempt to live up to that. Mm -hmm. It's really what's where our soul intention is each day. 
And it's like, where is that soul intention? Is it to be in discipleship with God? Is it to be an apostle to God, to Jesus, to the divine? Or is it my own will or my own intention? And it takes time to discern the difference because sometimes we can't tell, mm -hmm. right? We think we're just being disciples to Jesus or God and we're like, whoops, <laughs> we're off on a tangent. <laughs> yeah. But at other times, it's, I would say for me, it's more of a very quiet dissemination. It's not a conversion type thing or a sharing of that decision to give my life to this path. Mm. What does that look like? Is it about your spiritual practices, about contemplation? Well, it's just, like I said, it's about everything I'm doing. I mean, it's yeah. like, I, I, um, for example, my the experience I had was in October. So every October for the last 45 years, I, I go on retreat, mm. I pray. I ask God to show me where, where I'm called this year. What can I do to help? Yeah. Which, what's the path? How can I be your disciple or your pilgrim in the world, right? So it could be, it could be writing, it could be teaching, it could be being with my grandchildren, you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. whatever, whatever it is, mm. but it's, so always, it's about listening then, huh? It's about listening to, to God's will and not my will. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Because sometimes, particularly in activism, we often get, sometimes we get caught up in our wills. Yeah. <laughs> we think it's God's will about what we're supposed to be doing. And it's really us. <laughs> Just, yeah. You know, and then later we go, well, what did you think about that, Jesus? And, you know, yeah. Right. Right. And, and, you know, the answer is, oops, that was a detour, you know. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I guess I would ask you, what is that for you? Yeah. Oh, thank you. <laughs> it's much of what you talked about for me. It's for me, this it's a devotion to Jesus and his teachings and proclaiming the good news and living the good news. Um, it's helping others to know the good news by the way I am in relation with them. It's um, showing the good news by the way I'm in relation with myself and, and with God. So it's a combination of many things. For me, it is about conversion because I do see it as a, a constant learning and relearning and unlearning <laughs> and a development and a growth. I connect conversion to, to being a pilgrim on this path on the, the via, right. As you talk about. So I, um, yeah, it's about devotion, but, but it is also about sort of this countercultural and alternative, like really assessing, okay, what, what is the ways of the world ways of like you were talking about before traditional religion right and what where i feel like i can fall into the traps of shoulds and coulds and i shoulda coulda woulda right <laughs> but how no that's not the call the call is about freedom and joy and and life and and um helping others to know freedom and joy in life and so that invites me into this transformation constantly yeah, I guess I just want to say like that's the what's countercultural alternative is I'm not going to get on the materialism treadmill and buy and shop and earn my money to so I can pay my bills, right? 
like exhaust myself out with those things, but I'm, I'm working to have balance between contemplation and action ultimately. So I can be in union with God and, and with God's will for me, for the greater good. Right. And that's, that's, you just said it all. That's it. Right. And, and also, I mean, just to, to clarify, when I said it's not about conversion, I didn't mean self-conversion. Conversion. Yeah. (laughs) That never goes away. Transformation, whatever. I think I meant more. Maybe I was trying to say not trying to convert others to my path. Oh, just quietly expressing so more like accompaniment versus prophesizing, right? And right. Yes. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to go stand in the street corner and with a megaphone, even though some days I want to <laughs> and tell people, Jesus is amazing. Join, join the Jesus club. <laughs> but, but instead I'm going to walk with people where and meet them wherever they are and be gentle right. and listening. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. That, yeah. I love that. <laughs> And that's why I see it's so to me, it's very enriching and inspiring that we have slightly different paths. Yeah. That people in the world, you and I have slightly different paths, but they're really in so many ways the same. Yeah. Right. And the same is true for, you know, someone else in the circle. Mm. You know, we have we have slightly different ways and paths, but the interiority of, of the beloved or the desire to to be to do well, to do, you know, to re- to reciprocate what we've been given, mm. right, is part of the pilgrimage. So, yeah. God, our God is infinite mercy, is constantly outpouring this the goodness of love to us. Right. And we get to be part of the activity of sharing in the goodness and pro- right. and letting others see and notice and be awake to the goodness. And it's such yeah. a joy. Yeah. That's, that's exactly right. Mm. So what's messy about all this for you? Well, I, I'm sure you know, you know that very well. I mean, it's just like life is complex. Mm relationships are complex work is complex groups are complex you know there's so many situations where we're being called to our better angels right to to really you know go deeper and live more truly what we are and so there's so many life situations where we really have to discern you know am i taking path a or b Mm. you know or you know, how do I rise above the situation that's going on in the world today, for example? How do I stay with the, the suffering and the pain and the confusion and all these other things? So, you know, it's like digging in soil. Our hands are going to get dirty. We're going to get dirt on our hands when we dig and plant new seeds. And so there are times, you know, where we, we really are in turmoil, you know, a deep turmoil. It can be an actual mystical like dark night could be something very embodied you know where our family's breaking up or where you know a child has died or a parent has passed you know something traumatic we're going to go through those periods and so it is quite messy but what stabilizes us in all of that is the connection to the center to you know what is true for us and it's it's that it's, it's not like being devoted to God makes our lives necessarily easier. In fact, you know, <laughs> Teresa of Avila said, no wonder God, you have so few friends, right? Because 
<laughs> the path can be very arduous at times. But being devoted in that way, being connected to God, is like a, a homing beacon. It guides you through those, those difficult waters, right? It helps you to stabilize the boat. It, it gives you sustenance, you know, you have a, a place to cleave to when you're when you're being thrown around. And and yet, yes, it's it's going to be messy. It it, it has to be. It's life. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but the struggle is so worth it, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Oh, Beverly, it's been so good to have you on. Thanks for coming on Messy Jesus Business. Thank you. Yeah. Where can our listeners follow your work and find your books and, um, you know, learn more of your wisdom? Okay. Well, I have a website, beverlylanzetta.net. And on there, I send out weekly meditations. Mm. And if a person gets on my website, they can just sign up. They're free. And whatever else I'm doing will be on there. And my books are on Amazon and other places, but all that can be found on my website as well. BeverlyLenzetta.net. Thank you so much. invite you to join me in this contemplative moment. Whereas Beverly and I discussed spiritual freedom as an important part of spiritual maturity, I would like to read for you a passage from the book of Galatians. This translation comes from the message translation of the Bible and is a rewording, a paraphrase of Galatians chapter 5 verses 13 through 18. As you read the scripture, I invite you to close your eyes and breathe deeply as you listen and pray and notice if God is drawing your attention to any particular words or phrases. Notice how the Spirit is inviting you to greater freedom on this sacred day. A reading from Galatians chapter 5. It is absolutely clear that God has called you to a free life. Just make sure that you don't use this freedom as an excuse to do whatever you want to do and destroy your freedom. Rather, use your freedom to serve one another in love. That's how freedom grows. For everything we know about God's word is summed up in a single sentence. Love others as you love yourself. That's an act of true freedom. If you bite and ravage each other, watch out. In no time at all, you will be annihilating each other. And where will your precious freedom be then? My counsel is this. Live freely, animated and motivated by God's Spirit. Then you won't feed the compulsions of selfishness. For there is a root of sinful self-interest in us that is at odds with a free spirit, just as the free spirit is incompatible with selfishness. 
That's it for this episode of Messy Jesus Business. Thanks for listening. Messy Jesus Business is produced and hosted by me, Sister Julia Walsh, and edited by Cherish Bedzinski. You can find us online at MessyJesusBusiness.com and on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon. If you like what you heard, please be sure to mention our podcast to your friends and followers. And we'd love to have your support via Patreon. From the bottom of our hearts and the middle of the mess, thank you. Messy Jesus Business is produced in partnership with the Franciscan Sisters of Perpetual Adoration. You can learn more about our religious community and donate to our mission at www.fspa.org. I'm Sister Julia Walsh, and I'll catch up with you next time. Until then, peace and all good.